0: Hello and welcome to Complete Caribbean, a Travel Pulse podcast all about the world's favorite warm weather destination, the Caribbean. I'm writer, editor, and Caribbean travel expert, Jetset Sarah. And
1: I'm Brian Major, managing editor here at Travel Pulse. We're happy to have you with us today as we discuss the ins and outs of Caribbean travel and share the latest info and intel about this wonderfully diverse region. Let's get started!
0: So welcome, everybody, to the first episode of Complete Caribbean. We are thrilled to have you with us. Just wanted to give you a quick rundown of how the show is going to go. We've got 30 minutes of fabulous Caribbean content, and we'll start with a little new section that we're calling This Just In. Then, in the middle, we'll be doing an interview with someone from the Caribbean, and I promise you we have a very, very special guest today. Uh, And we're calling that section Island Intel. And then we'll wrap it up and Brian and I will talk about what's come across our desks in a little section called Island Inbox. So I think now we can all get started. Let's talk about what's just in, shall we? So Brian cruising that's a hot topic right now right uh, we right have on. seen in the last we've seen in the last week or so that cruise lines have really gotten tired of waiting for guidance from the CDC to find out when they can start cruising from US ports and what the protocols will be and so we saw two weeks ago at uh, crystal cruises Announced that they were going to do cruises that homeport in the Bahamas and then go to some of the Bahamian islands that have never really seen cruise ships before, like um, Harbor Island and Long Key, I think, and the Exumas. So it's really interesting. And then we've seen other lines quickly come in and say, yep, we're going to homeport in the Caribbean too. I think we saw Royal talking about um, homeporting in the Bahamas, Regent Seven Seas cruises in Barbados, and celebrity. Uh, Going to launch some, it's going to launch some of their cruises this summer from St. Martin. So, what do you think about Brian? What do you think that means for cruisers this summer? Well,
1: I gotta say, Sarah, it's going to be uh, there's some of the same difficulties and uh, and challenges that we uh, that we associate with uh, traveling today are going to now be replicated in this manner, but it is going to be available to you. So, if you want to take a cruise, you will be able to now take a cruise, a Caribbean cruise, a traditional voyage from the Caribbean. It's gonna be like flying to the Caribbean previously, but of course this is the era of COVID. So that means for these voyages, most likely almost all of them, I think, require you to be fully vaccinated. And the crew as well will be fully vaccinated. Um, So it's all vaccinated um, experience. Also, there are gonna be additional protocols, testing before you get on board, testing while you're on board, social distancing on board, uh, reduced capacities on board, the cruise lines have made the same concessions and adjustments that other travel hospitality uh, uh, providers have done to uh, to accommodate people who want to sail. So then there's going to be also, of course, the transit airplane-wise uh, to and from your destination. And um, the vaccination helps. Um, the, the, the distribution and, and the greater availability Availability of vaccination helps because um, you're going to be able to test probably before you get on board and 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 before you re- return. But you um, you have a, a lesser um, exposure, a lesser level of testing that you might have um, where you're not fully vaccinated. So, going to be hurdles, going to be some um, barriers, but you will be able to cruise the Caribbean somewhat like you did before. And certainly, cruise ships are that same relaxing vacation that that you kind of remember if you've cruised before.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I I live here in Miami, so I have the novelty of being able, I literally could walk to the port if I wanted to. But when you think about it, if you're coming from somewhere that's not Miami or a major American cruise port, the diff- you know, you still have to fly to Miami anyway. So whether you fly to Miami or you fly to Nassau or you fly to St. Martin to pick up your cruise, really for a lot of people won't make a difference, right? And certainly people who have cruised before, you and I both know, Brian, cannot wait to get back. On the water, so this is definitely good news for them,
1: right? This is great news for them. The travel agents we talk to Sarah's one hundred percent right. you're hundred percent right. The travel agents we talk to say the demand is high, the suppliers say the demand is high, and like you and I, who've cruised before, we know um, the people who cruise love cruising and want to cruise more. Um, so this is this is a welcome development for them. hopefully. Still, I mean, you know, the drive market is important and driving to your cruise port from uh, somewhere on the East Coast or even somewhere in, near the Gulf Coast, coast where uh, Galveston is a major port. That's going to be important. So the cruise lines are still seeking to work with the CDC. Um, that's mm-hmm. our government to, um, to uh, uh, fully restart cruising. But we'll, we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, you know, and I have to say this one, I do have one concern, you know, when, when Crystal announced their cruises and, and you know, that the fact that they were going to out islands of the Bahamas, like Harbor Island and Great Exuma, I was concerned because even though Crystal is, is by big ship standards, a small ship, I think it's um, the, pass- the ship they're sending there will have a capacity of 948 people. So by no means a mega ship. Not tiny though, and I, I I did become concerned for places like Harbour Island, for example, which only has seventeen hundred people living on it, right? But I do understand, you know, when you disgorge people from essentially a thousand passenger cruise ship onto a small island like that, you know, you must change the nature of the experience, right? But and so I'm thinking to myself, I'm a little concerned for the smaller islands and for people not to be disappointed if when they get there it isn't quite the quiet ideal that they expected it to be because now of course you're surrounded by all your cruisers but then I did remember that most of the lines are saying I'm not sure if it's all 50% but a lot of them are saying that they will be running cruises at reduced capacity yes
1: yes um I don't have the I don't have the numbers for what percentages they will they will all be running at some level of reduced capacity I don't think they're more than 50%, but at least up to 50%, um, it's going to be significantly reduced capacity. Sarah, you raise another excellent point because um, this is a a fundamental question of cruising and uh, the impact of a cruise ship's um, calling on a community. Um, When this was announced, I asked the Crystal folks, have you spoken? Have you talked with uh, the community? Because this is always going to be a concern. Uh, Harbor Island hasn't even though, as you mentioned, it's not the biggest ship uh, in our industry, in the cruise industry, Harbor Island has not, as as I understand it, um, hosted a ship of this size before. So I right. asked if they've worked with the community, and they've told me they have. They've talked with leaders uh, in the community to know what to expect when when this number of folks enter the the community. Um, I hope it's true. <laughs> I hope they've yes. done the groundwork and the legwork to. Um, because that's critical, and um, that can make the, the entire difference, Sarah. If if the port and the operator have talked and have worked together and they know this percentage of passengers wants to do this, this percentage of passengers wants to do that, and they can let everybody kind of ease off into their, their perspective yes. areas and they've worked it out, that's how a port call should work. Now,
0: Right. <laughs> Well, fingers crossed, <laughs> fingers crossed, it go, all goes well. I'm sure there'll be a little bit of trial and error in the beginning. But as we said, the important thing here is that this at least gives cruise line cruisers a chance to get cruising while we wait for some CDC guidance. So that's the important thing, I think. And next, now, I know that we have big news also, Um on the vaccine front in the last few days. By the way, today's April 5th, everyone. I'm not sure I should have told you that, but today's April 5th, and so we're just coming off the Easter weekend, and we're just coming off big news from the CDC about vaccination, right, Brian?
1: Absolutely. The V word, vaccinations. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Vaccination is everything. The CDC uh, this past weekend informed us that uh, if you are an American traveler, You and you are fully vaccinated. You do not need to quarantine uh, upon return to the United States. Uh, A big, I talked to, as we did, our our editors here talked to uh, travel agents and subsequent to that uh, announcement. And they think that is going to be a big factor in what is already uh, turning out to be a a significant demand for, for leisure travel. People I don't think we have to, you know, we have to tell anyone. People want to get out there badly. People really do want to travel. And they are. And I think most reasonable people are aware of the risks and want to play it safe. That's going to be critical as well. So Belize um, is the first country, Caribbean country, to say so far, Sarah and I were looking. um, It's the first Caribbean country to say uh, you don't need a negative COVID test to enter if you've been vaccinated. That's right. not necessarily the case around the Caribbean, but that's a forerunner. We, we can see that kind of becoming a, a standard. So Sarah and I, again, we were discussing this. We, we're, gonna, we're thinking vaccination is going to be a, a key factor um, for our region and for people coming into the region. Yes, Sarah?
0: Yes, absolutely. I think I mean, I think what is what there are some important things for people to understand about the new CDC guidance, which basically as you said, so you, you no longer have to quarantine if you're traveling domestically or internationally if you're fully vaccinated. But you still they're still going to have to con- to conform to regular COVID protocols. So you're still going to have to wear a mask. certainly for most Caribbean countries most with the exception of Belize, even if you, um, have been vaccinated, you're going to have to do a test right now. Although I agree with you, Brian, I think we'll, we'll certainly see other islands, particularly those that have very low instances of the virus. I think opening themselves up and relaxing those entry restrictions for people who have already been vaccinated. We, we count ourselves among them. So yay. Yay. Brian, I know it's been vaccinated and so have I. Um, But I think it's important to remember, you know, when people say that they don't want to get vaccinated, you know, if you want to travel, the writing is on the wall that you're probably going to have to get vaccinated because countries are trying to limit the spread, obviously limit the spread of the virus from outsiders coming in. And I think that what we don't realize here in America or we lose sight of is, you know, um, I read, I think it was in the New York Times that, I think it was the New York Times, that three quarters of the percentage, three quarters of all the vaccine that's produced in the world so far has gone to only 10 countries. So if you live in America, you live in England, you live somewhere where you have access to the virus, to the vaccination, I'm sorry, to the vaccine, you really are lucky, you know, because we're we're in a very... What's the word? Fortunate position. So I would say get vaccinated for sure. Um, If you want to travel, you're probably going to have to. And just keep watching the Caribbean islands and Caribbean countries, as I'm sure that their uh, protocols for entry requirements for entry are going to change as more and more people get vaccinated. All right. Speaking of vaccinations... Um (laughs) <laughs> and entry protocols. I want to make sure we get to this because Brian and I have been talking and I'm sure listeners have been talking about island protocols and what it takes to get where you're going, right? We all know Very that important. the days of the spontaneous Caribbean trip are over, right, Brian? And now right. we're seeing not just entry requirements, as in, you know, PCR testing, whether it's, um sorry, PCR or rapid testing, but everyone's, most countries are saying that you need to do a COVID test to enter. But then COVID Countries do vary in terms of how they are restricting you or not once you get there. So, I wanted to talk a little bit. uh, I have traveled a little bit, I think four times since November, and I've experienced, you know, different types and levels of quarantine. It really is a continuum. Um in November I went to Grenada and Grenada, which has has had zero deaths, uh and only forty something cases, I believe, I'm putting this point. Grenada had a very strict quarantine where for five days I stayed in my hotel room. I could not leave my room. Um I understand why I it was done. You. <laughs> yes, right. I you could know, have followed me on Instagram, Jet Set Sarah. Um I'm But yes, but you understand why. I mean, especially if you have a small population, you you know, these islands are very very vulnerable. They don't necessarily have the medical resources that we have. Um, So I was happy, really, to be in quarantine because I also stayed at a very beautiful hotel, Silver Silver Sands, for anyone who knows it. Um, But I recognized that it was important to preserve not just my health, but more importantly, the health of the people in the destination I was visiting. And then in January, I experienced the quarantine bubble for the first time, uh, which was really interesting. Brian, as I know that you and I have discussed before, Anguilla also has quite, you know, has considerable hurdles to getting in. But let's remember that they are a country that only has 16,000 people. They're only 35 square miles. And so they really have to be very strict and stringent about trying not to have any spread of the virus there at all. And so, but the way Anguilla has done it, Anguilla has said, all right, we're going to, we're going to institute a 14 day quarantine, but no, you don't have to stay in your hotel room for 14 days. You actually can move about in a quarantine bubble for that 14 days. So when you get to Anguilla, you test the moment you arrive at the ferry terminal or the airport uh, you wait for those results. They take about four or five hours. And at, until that time, you're confined in your hotel room. But once you get your results back, for the next 14 days, you can travel between bubble hotels, bubble restaurants, bubble attractions. So basically, for example, let's say that somewhere like a restaurant like Straw Hat that does good local business, and I know you know it well, Brian, it does good local business and does... Um, right does good foreign business, they have days, bubble days, when they're open only to people in the bubble. So they're open only to guests who are visitors who are in the 14-day quarantine period. And then other days and other times, they're open to locals. So basically, it's a way of making sure that you can maximize your vacation while still staying in quarantine and still limiting your contact with local people. I think it's it's absolutely worked so well for Anguilla. Um, they've, as I said, they've had only. I think they opened in November, was it October, November? But when they opened, they caught eleven cases right at the right. border, Somewhere. and they've had none since, right? Yeah. So it it works that's for right. Anguilla. I will say with the caveat that it works. I think because Anguilla is so very small. I mean, thirty-five square miles. That's not big. And, and has so few people, and all, and obviously has a very compliant population. But quarantine bubble, I thought, was a really interesting thing to see in action. My it's latest, be interesting,
1: Sarah, because yes. um, we, we uh, you know, I don't know if we talked about this specifically, but um, some of these destinations like Anguilla, which have traditionally been the the overlooked or lesser known, although you know, successful in their own way, tourism wise, um, certainly the the. The, 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 in the shadow of some of the bigger uh, names in uh, Caribbean tourism, they're going to be kind of, you know, on the top shelf right now because those are the destinations that have the exclusivity, kind of the, yes. the character that will really work well in this, this present travel environment.
0: Yeah, I think everyone's looking for, you know, space and seclusion, along with their sun, sea, and sand, you know, because that gives us a feeling of safety. You, nobody wants to be on a jam-packed beach anymore. And these, as you say, these out-of-the-way destinations like Anguilla, uh, these, we could say, exclusive destinations and expensive destinations like <laughs> Anguilla are really, you know, this is their time to shine, right? Because this is what we want. And it's similar. I had a different experience just a couple of weeks ago going to St. Kitts and Nevis, which was one of the last countries to open up to, uh, to travelers. And St. Kitts and Nevis has a serious quarantine also. They call it vacation in place. And essentially for the first 14 days that you are there, you are confined to your hotel. You test on day seven, you test on day 14. If after day seven, you test negative, you can do a couple of select tours. And after day 14, you're free to roam the country. But certainly if you go to St. Kitts and Nevis right now, you're going to stay in your hotel and vacation in place, which is a lovely word for quarantine, but it's all about the presentation, right?
1: (laughs) Absolutely. And uh, hey, if you're going to vacation in place, you know, Sarah, you know, has, you know, her travels have been worth it because I mean she's been uh, Silver Sands and then uh, Four Seasons, Nevis, Seasons and Nevis is where I place. stayed. You know, that's going to be that's the kind of place you want a vacation in. Place this is a sweeping, beautiful resort in the shadow of uh, Nevis Peak, the the mountain in the center of the island. It is just um, it's it's something special. Uh, I'm in a special region, so uh, yeah. So that's going to be you know. What we, our point is that I think that um, our uh, listeners need to know that the the character of your vacation, your Caribbean vacation is going to, right now it's going to depend even more so on which destination you choose because uh, you have to, you're going to have to decide what kind of vacation you want, what kind right. of managed experience, because they do vary. So you're going to do your homework, work with your travel advisor to to make sure you know all of the protocols, all of the the character of uh, of this vacation in this destination.
0: We are thrilled today to have with us on the premier episode of Complete Caribbean the prime minister of St. Lucia Mr. Annon Chastanet. Welcome. We're so happy to have you.
2: Great to be here Sarah, nice to see you guys again and uh to share this wonderful day with
0: you, it's we honestly Brian and I have been talking about uh, about your career when we first met you, how innovative and creative you are, and honestly, we can't think of a better guest to have today to open with on our first episode. So let's get straight into it. I'm going to ask you every, what the question that probably everyone wants to know: if you want to come to Saint Lucia, and let's face it, who doesn't? And we want to visit the Pitons that we can see behind you. Um, Tell me, what are the requirements for entry requirements for visitors to come to St. Lucia now?
2: It's actually very simple. Um, a, a PCR test um, that's taken at least five days before you arrive. Um, and once you arrive, that allows you to go into our tourism bubble, which is to the hotel and to a selected number of attractions that we have that are open currently. Um, we're currently now looking to amend that, um, that, that uh, protocol to include uh, persons who have uh, been vaccinated.
0: Oh, fabulous. That is something that Brian and I are going to be discussing later on the podcast. But it's interesting to see how Caribbean countries are very quickly adapting to the fact that there's a lot of people who have been vaccinated and are ready to travel.
2: Absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's the next big hurdle. I know St. Lucia had been advocating all the way back in April that we were really hoping that globally that we would have gotten into a position where everybody would have been tested. Um, And in those early days, sadly, the antigen test was not accurate enough. The the antigen test really is good when you have symptoms and there's enough viral load for it to be able to be more accurate. Um, So doing the PCR test would have been so much simpler globally. And I think that we would not have maybe seen this this significant fallout that we've had, but um, uh, it has worked really well in St. Lucia, um, the protocols we've put in place.
1: Awesome, and um, you know, uh, Mr. Minister, your country was one of the earliest to begin accepting visitors again after the shutdown, and uh, it was a uh, it was a, of course, um, a, a controversial decision, as every country had to weigh the the, the benefits and risks, um, especially towards the relying countries uh, like Saint Lucia and other Caribbean countries. So. Um, Within the island, what is the status of, uh, of COVID-19 infection? Let's just get that out of the way and discuss what the picture is for Saint Lucia, because of course your your population is integral to uh, the tourism product, but also you know it's your country. You want to be as safe as possible. What's the status right now?
2: Yeah. So you know, in April, we understanding the uh, economic impact on tourism and the inability for us to be able to provide the economic recovery for everyone that we would have liked to. So certainly, St. Lucia does not have the capability of the UK or the US or Canada to simply print money. Um, That's just not an option for us. And we have to be very mindful of coming out of COVID where we are economically. And so we adopted a a concept called coexisting with COVID. And we felt that when we saw the success in Vietnam, the success in, in Taiwan, and some other countries around the world, particularly Asian countries that were much more uh, able to adapt because I think of SARS, um, the, the the West, we had not developed that level of discipline as yet, but we knew it could happen. We could coexist with COVID and we were very successful. So up until October, we only had 28 cases on the island. We didn't have any deaths. Um, sadly for us, like a lot of other places in the world, um, persons really did not want to give up Christmas and New Year's, I call it. And that's a very strong Caribbean uh, vacation period. And we saw an explosion of cases um, here in San Lucio. So we went up to as many as 4,000, I think 300 thereabouts. We're at 59 deaths at this point. And we always knew that if we did not successfully coexist with COVID, um, given the high levels of diabetes and the high level of uh, hypertension in our country, that there would be people that were very vulnerable. And that's exactly sadly what has happened. But uh, for the most part, despite all of that, at no point was our healthcare system out of control. We certainly had a period where our respiratory hospital was full, um, but for the most part we were able to survive it. And, and today we're now back down to about 115 active cases Um, And we've significantly reduced the numbers. So uh, we're back on track to getting to where we were in the October period. Um, At certainly no point did we see that tourism in any way contributed to it. So the protocols we put in place were successful in protecting the tourists that were coming to our country. And even more importantly, protecting our locals that were servicing um, those guests that were here. And what we're excited about is um, our our TripAdvisor ratings actually, post-COVID, are actually higher than they were um, pre-COVID, so it tells us the product that we're offering has been well accepted and very much appreciated by the um, the traveling public.
1: You are that's um that's actually exemplary, in my opinion, exemplary exemplary management of this of this unprecedented situation. And uh, you know, we were talking as Sarah mentioned earlier about uh, how we knew you and how long we we've, we've been associated. And I recall when you were tourism minister touring the island following a hurricane Uh, and you took us around You showed us what was open and what was available and I remember that was the time we had some real time with you and um, now you're prime minister so you have a handle on the entire situation and as prime minister you're responsible for the welfare of the entire country. How has it been managing the the need to restart
2: tourism but also protect the health and welfare of, uh, of your citizens? Yeah, I'm actually How pretty lucky. Balanced yeah. So I'm pretty lucky in that um, I've had a variety of experiences in my life. So we were talking about my days at Air Jamaica, and so I was at Air Jamaica for 9-11, um, and I saw the impact of the, of the airline industry shutting down for 12 days, and we saw the economic fallout that ensued. And so the idea that we, we could see a shutdown globally was real in my head. So even as early as February, understanding that the protocols that some countries were putting in with quarantining could potentially lead to a global shutdown was not a concept that was alien to me. So knowing that helped me pre-plan what was gonna take place. Secondly, I was a minister of tourism when we had the global recession. So we understood that if in fact, Globally, there would be a significant fallout economically, which we thought that they would be. Um, how would we manage that situation? So that's the worst recession of our of our lifetime. And then thirdly, I've been prime minister dealing with climate change. So I am, as a prime minister, in a small island developing state, and also the lead prime minister in CARICOM for sustainable development. And so I saw the devastation in um, Dominica and the BVI and. Puerto Rico and the U.S. Virgin Islands and the sad devastation that took place in Grand Bahama in 2019, and more importantly, how does a country recover from that and the inability of the global economic architecture, development architecture um, to support us. So COVID has actually been a combination of all three, significant impact on tourism, a major impact on recession, and now as a small island developing state having to depend on the global economic architecture as to how we're going to deal with the debt situation. Um, So because of that, and we adopted, as I told you, the term coexisting with COVID um, and been very mindful of our economic fallout. So we were very lucky that we had a significant number of capital projects that we were about to begin, the new airport, a new hospital, police headquarters, road redevelopments, community centers, and what we did is we fast-tracked a lot of those things. So the jobs that we were going to lose temporarily in tourism, that hopefully we could recover um, in, in construction. We also um, put in programs to purchase food from our farmers, to distribute to the more vulnerable persons in our society. So again, the, the loss of uh, purchasing from the hotels to that sector was being replaced in terms of our support programs. And finally, we were very lucky that we um, saw an industry called the call center business, um, and we saw a huge opportunity. Um, When Jamaica had some problems, some of those companies wanted to immediately diversify, and they came here to St. Lucia. And so we've seen almost 2,000 new jobs being created during this particular period, um, which have been significant. So the, the key here was... Keep people employed, even if it wasn't at a full salary level. Minimize the economic fallout as much as possible and keep our foot in the market. So remaining open, Um, we have seen right now between July of this year to December of this year, a 15% increase in airlift in comparison to July of 2019 to December of 2019. We've seen real strong rebound in the U.S. market as well as the UK market. So I would say to you that we have positioned ourselves well to gain market share um, coming out of of COVID. So I think we've used our time extremely well. You know, COVID sadly, it's a global issue. Um, We were having to wait on the vaccine. So from a health perspective, minimize the fallout on our population, but keep your eye on the ball um, in terms of trying to use this crisis as a, a, a stepping stone to further your your development afterwards,
0: I think it's really interesting the way you have been able to, as, you know, that overused word. I'm going to use again, pivot. But as you say, you know, transferring, um, transferring what was lost and replacing that with with other things that are are relevant to, to 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 just keeping people engaged and and just having from um, maintaining their livelihood while we wait for tourism to restart. And so I know that we talked earlier about the fact that, you know, you're a son of the soil, you've been a tourism minister, and now you're the prime minister. So I can't think of a better person to ask what we should do when we come to St. Lucia. Notice I didn't say if, I said when we get back to St. Lucia because we are inspired by those pitons behind you and inspired by the warmth of the people and how absolutely stunning topographically your island is. So I'd love to know, um, Tell us what's open now, and then, if you will, tell us what's your number one thing as a long-time Lucian. What, what do you love to do, and, what, and give us your recommendation for what we should do when we get there?
2: So actually, um, earlier today, I was having a discussion with a, a young artist, um, a musician here in St. Lucia, and who now is looking to diversify. So the exciting product in St. Lucia right now is, is a term that we call village tourism. And so village tourism has been a concept um, that I had in the 80s um, when I was hired by Chris Blackwell to Island Outpost. The Araka Bessa project was really a village tourism concept. Um, Certainly being in South Beach, um, got to see that really evolve in a much bigger way in this part of the world. And certainly now as Minister of Tourism had articulated it, and now as prime minister, that we've now put all the structures to give that level of support. So are some of the changes over time is Airbnb. Um, so Airbnb is really uh, the beginning of, of village tourism. And what we've been doing even prior to COVID, but even now with COVID, expediting that process is improving the infrastructure in the nine villages that we have here. So if you go to Sioux as an example, most people would have arrived by bus and gone to the tours and come back on the boat three of the four of the best hotels in the world are in that area and people weren't even coming into the town so we've now fixed up the beach hummingbird beach project um, added bars and restaurants and shops on that beach washroom facilities so persons who are staying at airbnb products now have a proper public beach they can go to with the requisite supporting facilities the old trafalgar square we've added now a bus terminal beautiful creole bus terminal with a market The square in the town, which is a major historic feature for us, has been upgraded and it's just looking spectacular. The old copper factory, um, we're in the process now of dividing that and making it into uh, a village tourism mall called the factory. So when you go there, there will be persons who are producing soap, um, glass products, leather products, paintings, and you can see it actually being produced. And then there's the shop intermingled with restaurants. In an old factory, so if you live in Washington, D.C., there's a place called the Torpedo Factory um, in Virginia uh, that's very, very similar. Ours is a little bit more rustic than that one, but the very same kind of concept of micro-businesses being supported in a historic um, uh, place. So this kind of transformation is taking place in ancillary, in canneries, Souffre. Uh, eventually, it will be rolled out next term into Labrie and Choiselle. and, uh, Vue Fort now with the new horse racing track. Um, we're looking to put a new cruise ship pier to be able to do home porting in that location. We have a beautiful development, a 100-acre development that we're doing on the beach in the View Fort. Again, the concrete road will become a boardwalk, subdivided with smaller businesses on the other side. So uh, village tourism really is the hot thing. We're opening up our first concept which is uh, an area of land demarcated by the government where we put, again, all of the infrastructure in to allow those chicken vans and um, smaller merchants to have their own spot. And so we will have <laughs> t Village and Groselay, t Village and Bexar, t Village and, and And again, what we want is a real authentic experience. We want to be able to have tourism products where you can go to your Laderas and to your Jade Mountains and to your sandals. But also we want to have co-mingled within that our very strong Airbnb product, um, small guest houses in where persons are fully integrated into our local community.
0: So I think what I hear you saying is we're going to start in Soufraire and then visit every other village after that.
2: Absolutely. Is that good? Absolutely. And each I, one has its own unique feature. So I, I can tell you, Sarah, you're just going to you're going to love it. You're not going to want to go home.
0: That I never want to go home. So that that is a given. Um, and unfortunately, I don't even want to say goodbye either. But it sounds like we have to wrap it up. But I want to thank you very, very much, Mr. Prime Minister, for being our first guest. We are honored to have you. We're excited to come back to St. Lucia. And we're thrilled to be able to have shared what it takes to get back to St. Lucia and what we can expect when we go to St. Lucia with the complete Caribbean audience. So thank you so much.
2: Fantastic. And within that audience, I just want to share one thing with you, is that we are St. Lucia, the West Indies, and um, we think that the West Indies is really going to be the gem of the Caribbean.
0: I think I agree with that. Don't you, Brian?
2: Awesome.
1: I certainly agree. And I'm looking forward to doing the uh, the Groselé street party again at some point and, uh, you know, my own little village tourism experience. So that is wonderful news. And uh, sounds like things are just great. You're going to be excited. We're really we looking are, forward to getting back.
2: Yeah, you, we're going to see that we've expanded that whole Groselet theme party and improved it in Groselé, but now expanding it throughout the length and breadth of the island.
0: All right. We're, awesome. we're definitely going to see you in St. Lucia, Minister. Thank you.
1: Well, thank you uh, for that wonderful interview with the Prime Minister of St. Lucia, Mr. Alan Chastainé, a great, a great uh, friend uh, to uh, both Sarah and I and uh, to anyone who works in tourism in the Caribbean because he's He's what uh, Caribbean tourism is about. Um, So let's go to our next and our third feature, uh, Island Inbox, that we uh, do every uh, episode, this being the first episode, so we're certainly doing it this time. Um, And this is where Sarah and I talk about some of the things that have come across our um, desks and and, and onto our uh, screens. And uh, we want to uh, just make sure we say a few words about um, things that are happening today. And I want to... um, Cast a little bit of light on remote work, tourism, uh, remote travel, remote work in the Caribbean. There is a big trend. We have several islands now that are offering uh, the opportunity for you to work remotely and in their destination for an extended period on a special visa. Normally, you would not be allowed to stay and work in a destination that long uh, for 12, 18 months um, without some kind of, uh, you know, tourism without some kind of a citizenship, uh, application. But this is, this is different. This allows you to do that. And you're not finding a job in a destination. If you have a job already that you can do remotely, you can come to destinations like Dominica now is doing this. And, uh, let's, I want to look at my little list here to make sure I don't leave anybody out, but uh,
0: no, we can't, anyway. we can't forget Barbados. It started us all off. Barbados, right.
1: Right. And, uh, there are several others. Um, Barbados, Cayman Islands also is offering a, a program. Uh, Antigua is offering a program. People are doing that in Jamaica, although they don't offer a formal program, but you can uh, you can do that in Jamaica. We have a travel writer friend, uh, Cheryl Nance Nash, who's doing that yes. in Jamaica. Um, but you also should be aware that there are relative costs. Um, uh, Many of these destinations are not necessarily inexpensive, so you have to factor in what your day-to-day living costs are going to be. Anguilla has a program, and Anguilla can be kind of a high-end destination, so you're going to spend a lot there. Um, A place like Barbados, which also offers a program, as I understand it, some things in Barbados are expensive, but food and other things are not expensive. So, you know, you kind of balance your costs and take a look at uh, what each destination costs, but that's a feature, or that's a that's something that's come out of this situation. Remote
0: work. I'm hoping, somebody. Brian, that somewhere like Dominica, I'm imagining, would be perhaps more reasonable than, say, the Bermuda or the Anguillas or the Barbadoses in this program. I'm imagining that somewhere like Dominica, that launched their work in nature program, that they might be a little less expensive. What do you think?
1: Perfect example Dominica, work in nature. And uh, Dominica generally is an inexpensive place. Um it's not a big it's again, it's also an example of one of these smaller um over some sometimes overshadowed Caribbean destinations that's just as wonderful as all of the other ones. Um but now as you know it has some features that is gonna make um it even more attractive. And that's one of them, as Sarah mentioned. It's not that very it's not very expensive to to live and to to be in Dominica uh, uh, for an extended period. So that's an option for you as well. Um one of the positive that's actually come out of this um this terrible um situation um i also want to you know we touched briefly on cruising stall and relaunch and um you know the only thing i want to say about cruising i I worked i actually worked in the cruise industry i worked for CLIA as a public relations official um after reporting on cruising i'm real familiar with the format um uh, it's a great way to vacation um but you know I think that ultimately the cruise lines and the CDC will come to, uh, will figure out, uh, the CDC will figure out uh, ways for the cruise industry to to begin operating again. the are the certainly
0: on the hope with. so. Just how long is it going to take? That's I guess that's what the lines are wondering, right?
1: You know, honestly, yeah, they are wondering and, and they expressed frustration this past week. Uh, you know, as it's travel associations, it's not just the cruise lines themselves. ASTA came out and made some uh, statements and, uh, you know, a legislators, uh, the governor of Florida threatened, <laughs> threatened a lawsuit. Uh, you know, that's always popular, the old lawsuit threat um so you know things are getting serious and there was some movement on cdc's part but i think the cruise lines felt well we almost like we already knew that but you know, we got to get some new information so,
0: yeah i um, think that particularly with the, the cdc i really want to
1: focus on it's our government you know and i i know it's uh, it, you know I just want to say that there are people who work in the cruise industry. There are people who rely on cruise, uh, the people who work on the ships, the people who, who work in destinations, whose businesses and tour operators and guides who really depend on this for their livelihoods. And those are the people who have been without work for a year, so um, over a year. So hopefully for their sake, we'll get, we'll get that done. And the last thing I want to mention is that um, uh, the, uh, some destinations are adjusting their tourism uh, mix and development uh, as a result of the pandemic and Cayman Islands is one of them where they have um decided that they're no longer going to take uh big large cruise ships and uh they have some other things in their economy that will be able to help them overcome that but I think they're an example of uh uh Caribbean destinations that are going to make some choices uh tourism wise as the uh as we learn lessons from the pandemic so Sarah wanted to give us yeah. some of your ideas
0: well I- Yes, I will give you some ideas. I have two quick ones. But I will say, you know, it's Caribbean, we've been talking about this in Caribbean tourism for a long time about, you know, not putting all our all our eggs in, into the tourism basket and developing other industries and other capabilities, other money makers. So hopefully COVID, you know, somehow will, will bring us a little closer to doing that because we love Caribbean and we love Caribbean tourism, but... Um, I'm not sure that we love that everyone's put everything in one basket and become so tourism dependent, you know,
1: they've got to find a mix that works for them and, uh, and make tourism, you know, spread the, the benefit of tourism spread through, through the entire economy. And, you know, Absolutely. um, it's a part of, it's an, it's an integral part of what's in the, of, of the Caribbean. It's not going away, but, uh, you know, just, uh, make it better like anything else.
0: Should I tell you what's come through my inbox now? So you won't be surprised to know that it's something to do with shopping. The first thing we're going to talk about is a product. So I I like to call myself a black belt shopper. And um, the first thing I wanted to talk about is something called COVID status wear. And someone sent me. It's an interesting thing the, the company's called covid status wear and they do masks and they do pins that allow you to show your covid status so for example they sent me a mask uh, it's a black mask and it says there's a big logo on the side that says covid status vaccinated and a big big vx there like and then it. they also do these like magnetic it. pins and they sent me a vaccinated one too. So it says, you know, you could just clip it onto your lapel. They're really ex- inexpensive. The masks and the pins are both $8 each. You can get them at covidstatuswear.com. And I wanted to discuss this because I was thinking, I think for uh, in a in a corporate, not in a corporate setting, in a commercial setting. So I think if you were a hotel um, or, you know, car rental desk or whatever, and you're, you're all your staff were wearing these vaccinated pins, I think it would be a great idea. I think it would give a level of comfort to your um, customers. And if they were were wearing the mask also, but then I think as a personal, you know, just someone on their own wearing these things. I mean, it's nice for you to be able to say, look, I've been vaccinated or they, oh, by the way, they also have other um, things, not just vaccinated. There's negative testing for COVID or recovered and cleared for COVID or temperature normal quarantine released so there are all sorts of covid related statuses that you can have um i think they're interesting to have if you want as a uh, for your personal use but I, i'm not gonna i'm not gonna take your mass word for it or your pins word for it but still i think in commercial settings it's a good idea what do you think brian
1: I, I actually love the idea of a, a staff. We, we know what it's like when you, you get off the plane and you walk into the, the lobby. That first interaction with that staff is so underrated. I mean, that's, that's what to, that almost makes a vacation right there and sets the vacation off. And to see, see a staff that is smiling, but also sets an example of compliance and, and confidence with, with what's going on right now. That would give me a, a feeling of a reassurance. I like the idea. I like yeah,
0: it. I like it. I think in a in a business setting, I'd and be I'd a reassured. It, you know. Reassured, yeah, you'd job. wear it too. Yeah. Yeah. I'd be reassured yes, in work. a business setting, and then I would wear it for fashion and information in a personal setting. But there you go. That's just me. Uh, the Not second thing you I found the, the, the No, thing. of <laughs> course I found something <laughs> to buy. <laughs> the every moment is a is a moment to accessorize. Um, And then the second thing that I wanted to talk about, Brian, was a a new, well, it's it's about a year and a half old, actually, a new way to vacation in Aruba. I haven't been to Aruba for a while, but I'm really interested in uh, this Aruba Airstream. A couple has set up this Airstream. It is a 30-foot long flying cowed Airstream. It's very fancy, built in 2017. And basically it's, you can get it on Airbnb or go to com, and essentially it's, you know, forget staying in a hotel room, forget staying in a tent even, but how cool is it to stay in an Airstream in Aruba? I think it's probably the only Airstream that you can stay in, in the Caribbean. I had a look, I went to their website, Aruba, right? Isn't that sound great? I went, I went to their website, arubaairstream.com, to check it out, um, Uh, FYI, though, if you want to book, you can only book through the first booking is has to go through Airbnb. So look, look up on Airbnb Um, rate started around two hundred and fifty dollars a night right now. But I mean, this is no this is this is my kind of glamping, I would say. Right. If I'm going to stay in a trailer, this is the kind of thing I want to stay in because it has. Well, it's got, first of all, it sleeps. Right. It's got three beds and it sleeps five. It's fully air conditioned. It's got cable TV, three flat screen TVs, Wi Fi, of course. And then, best of all, it's got its own private saltwater pool and its own outdoor bathroom. And really nice looking, and not just a show. I mean, like a whole bathroom with palm trees everywhere and views of the desert. I mean, I'm really interested. This this alone makes me want to go back to Aruba. Aruba Airstream. I'm I'm coming at you.
1: Well, they picked the right place to be in because if you're going to glamp uh, somewhere and want uh, beautiful sunsets and landscapes and have your own Aruba, as you know, Sarah and I have both been there several times, many times. Um that's it that's going to be good that sounds good to me already i i want to be Trust that me airstream. this
0: it's a perfect way to social distance because it's just you totally. just you and whoever's in the airstream with you seriously i i'm i'm all about it com. Love that one
1: Well great i think we might have come to the end of our our first uh, broadcast
0: It's gone really quickly Brian but i I'm, I'm really hoping that people uh got some information, some good information about it, and some inspiration to get back to the Caribbean as soon as they can.
1: Definitely. Um, Sarah's uh, been doing it, and uh, I am pulling back to it now and we will be traveling in the second half of the year back on the beat, so uh, looking forward to it. Thanks, Sarah. Thanks again for doing this.
0: And thanks everyone for tuning in to the first episode of Complete Caribbean. We were very, very happy to have you, and we'll see you again in a couple of weeks.